Hey lady, I'm Jamie and this is the Everyday Queen podcast. Have you ever had the feeling that you are destined for so much more from your life? Like you know you're here to do epic things and really make a difference, but there's something inside you that holds you back and keeps you playing in your comfort zone. If this sounds familiar, I want you to know you are totally in the right place. I created this podcast to share the stories of women just like you. Women who have faced the trials and tribulations of life, overcome their limiting beliefs, and are now bringing their vision boards to life. In between these epic interviews, I will share with you my own ponderings and stories, coupled with actionable tips and tricks on how you can shift your doubt into pure, inspired action towards your dreams. Are you ready? Let's do it. Welcome, ladies, to another episode of the Everyday Queen podcast. And I'm so excited tonight because we are recording a double episode. So you'll have two back to back episodes with my amazing sister. Welcome, Shan. Hello. Thanks for having me here. I am so excited to have you here tonight. Now, we, like I said, we're recording two back-to-back episodes, so one is going to be very much career and life-focused because Shannon has actually been living in an Aboriginal community in far north Queensland, which for anyone anywhere else in Australia or overseas, it's basically a tiny, tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, literally so isolated away from everything. And she has had such an amazing experience there. So we're going to dive really deep into that. And then to back it up, we have a bit more of a fun episode about the dating adventures of Shannon because she has, what do you say? Are we allowed to say shit story? <laughs> There's been whatever. some very interesting experiences. We'll put it down to that. But yeah. Some other choice words I can use, but probably not on a recorded podcast. But I'm uh, sure people would be interested to hear. Yeah, there's some pretty crazy stories. So that's going to be part two. But part one, I really want to talk about your experience living in Aracoon. And I really want to talk about, to start with, like where you were, what prompted that decision. And this was way back in 2017, wasn't it? Because you've been away for a little while. Um, So yeah, tell us a little bit about that, where you were living before you went there, what kind of headspace you were in, what you were doing for work. Like let's dive, let's dive really deep. So probably to start it off where I was, um, I was living in the Burdekin, so living in Home Hill and Air, working at a childcare centre. I had been in the same job for about seven years um, and I had pretty much been in the Burdekin most of my life. As you know, we grew up there, so I left a few times, but not really anything as an adult. And um, yeah, so my life there was probably, I don't really know the word to use, but it was a bit of a roller coaster. There was definitely a lot of ups and downs, things happening, you know, dating as well, friendship groups breaking down. I was really not very happy in the job that I was doing, but I didn't have any sort of direction or any idea about what I wanted to do. And I also actually didn't have any plans of leaving the Burdekin. I know I did try to move to Townsville a few times um, because my friends relocated there, but I didn't really have that drive to put in any sort of effort to make it happen Mm. um, for myself. So in terms of Aracoon coming up as an option, it really just 
you know, no one really puts their hand up to go to somewhere like that. No. So it wasn't at the forefront <laughs> of my brain. It wasn't a conscious decision that I just woke up one day and was like, I need to do something completely different. I'm going to Aracoon. It was actually my dad who sort of planted the seed for me. So I won't dwell too much into it, but a bit of a backstory on dad. We haven't had probably the strongest relationship that a father and daughter would have. We actually hadn't spoken at the time in a couple of years. And so it was a bit of a surprise to hear from him. Um, and I'm actually surprised that I even answered the phone, to be honest. But for whatever reason, I did. did. I answered the phone and he said, basically, you know, what are you doing? What are you, what are you up to in your life? What's going on? And I expressed that, you know, I'd been working still in childcare seven years now and I didn't really have that much going on. I didn't really have anything of substance to tell him because nothing was happening in my life. Nothing yeah. exciting was happening. And he said, well, I've got an idea for you. Um, don't take it lightly because it's, you know, a pretty big commitment to to do it. But I'm actually working in Aracoon at the moment and I would like you to come up and be my trade assistant for a little while. If you like it, then you can, you know, look at doing an apprenticeship in carpentry. Now, um, he did say for me to do some research on Aracoon because I'd never heard of it before, to be honest. I've never really been any further than Most Cairns, I guess. Haven't. Yeah. Maybe mm. Sears Island or something like that. But yeah, he said, look, don't take it lightly. It is what you read up on it. You're going to be, you know, a bit shocked. There is definitely some confronting things about the place. So if you're going to do it, you need to make sure that you're in it. Yeah. So I did a bit of research. I had some of my friends doing research and then obviously sending me all these articles and stuff like that because <laughs> other places, you know, whatever is in the news and whatever is, is never anything positive when it no, comes to somewhere like not. that. The media always likes to report on the negativity of places. So um, it didn't really look like the best place to be going. No, definitely not. Definitely um, not. Apart from the fact that mum and dad were there, there wasn't really any other reason for me to go there. But no. something about the idea of it, I couldn't shake it. I just, I couldn't say no to it. Let's just put yeah. it that way. And I think also it was leading up to your It wedding. was right before my wedding. It was yeah. right before, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was so. right before my wedding. And just to backtrack for everyone listening in, so when um, Shen refers to the Burdekin, it is essentially a very, well, it's a small let's say a satellite of communities that are all small towns referred to as the Burdekin as a collective. It's not necessarily one town. There's quite a number of small cane farming communities. And so you get a lot of your classic small town drama, which is not like obviously all small towns, all places have drama, all small towns take drama to the next level. So for anyone listening in who isn't aware of like where the place is, just think of your like the closest little country town to you um, and think about the drama that happens there and pretty yeah. much welcome to the Burdekin. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty much it. What I will so, say also just to um, for anyone who may be from the Burdekin or still there from there, a lot of the drama I cause myself. I do take full ownership for a lot of behaviours and a lot of, um, I, I would call them mistakes, but they were really learning experiences. There was a lot of things that I did um, that sort of brought chaos to my life unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, so I do take ownership for that. So the shitstorm that I had created for myself was something that I was trying desperately to get out of, but I couldn't grow in the Burdekin because my reputation as such 
preceded me. I couldn't yeah. get away from that. No. And no matter how hard I tried or no matter what I did, it just felt like I was constantly just dragged down, even if it was by my own opinions of myself, yeah. not so much as other people going around saying anything. It was more like myself. I was just so ashamed of some of the things, some of the behaviours that I'd done and some of the things I'd done that I was just struggling and I needed a clean break from the Burdekin. So yeah. there, I know there's plenty of people that have that still live there today and they have happy, beautiful lives and they don't absolutely get, you know, yes. they don't get involved with the drama. No, but, absolutely. But it is definitely prominent in small towns for, you know, there to be that element of gossip and drama and just Yeah. I feel like there's always lives. like that click of people. Yes. It's definitely not like we're not painting all people with the same brush, but there's just always seems to be and like I said, there's drama everywhere that you live. It just is more concentrated in small country towns. And it's literally just because it's more concentrated. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like in, in big cities, there's so many more people that you, you don't have the same connection with people's lives. Like you can go to the shop without seeing anyone yeah. that you will ever see again. Yeah, so, that's right. And I think I was yeah. desperate to find that. I but, I mean, I went to a were. really tiny place anyway. You went so. to a small place. <laughs> but you still escaped, like, that pattern that you were in. Yes. And I do really love that you own it because I know, you know, there was a lot of challenging things that went on um, during your period living there. And it was almost sometimes like you were just kind of falling into things instead of like being in control of your life and being like I always say to people you are the dominant creative force in your life you definitely were not the dominant creative force in your life no I was living there um and yeah Aracoon (laughs) yeah so (laughs) like (laughs) coming back to Aracoon so um, I didn't really tell too many people that I was going there because I didn't really want anyone to talk me out of it. So the people that I had told were close family and close friends, and some of them did try to talk, talk me you out of it. it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so very seriously. But I was of the belief that if it didn't work out, I could come back. So what's the worst that can happen? It certainly couldn't get any worse for me where I was. No. So why not give it a crack? Um, so I drove up there with mum. Shared the vehicle straight after your wedding. Yes, the literally next day. like the next day. We drove up to Cairns. We stayed in Cairns the night and then we drove up to Aracoon. And um, my first feeling of driving through that town, I remember looking like so small. So basically you drive down the main street and that's it. You're, you're through the town. I remember looking like around and there was all these like dogs running around everywhere and there was just people just everywhere, you know, yelling at each other and it just was a shock. I, I actually wanted to cry, to be honest. Yeah. I, I said, I turned to mum and I said, I think I've made a massive mistake. So it was a very big shock straight up. And then the second shock was, I thought that I was going to be living on the boat with mum and dad. Yes, but that's no. right. So I was fully prepared to be living there. Yes. And then when we pull up. Which, hang on. So our parents live on a catamaran or yeah. a yacht for, yeah. for people who don't know. <laughs> Just so that people Oh, yeah, like, living on the boat. Your parents live on a boat. What? <laughs> that would be interesting. So our parents live on a catamaran. And at that stage, so our dad also is a builder, um, yeah. which we haven't said yet. Our dad is a builder and he basically has travelled for work like since I think at least for the last 15 years yeah, at say. least the last 15 years probably beyond that um but mum has kind of followed for the last 15 years so at least the last 15 years he has traveled for work everywhere 
and he has ended up in some really random (laughs) places because of it, which has been um, an amazing experience for them. And so, yeah, at this point in time, he had just ended up in Arakoon, an Aboriginal community in far north Queensland. Now, I actually remember, Shan, when you got there, you posted a picture because so you would go well hang on yeah hang on we haven't got to this yeah you were going there under the proviso you had your dog yep and you were going to live on the boat with mum and dad yes so that was sort of like one of the factors that like made me feel comfortable comfortable with going there was that I would be with them so I knew you know it's all gonna be good um and then I get there and we had to apparently drop some stuff off at the contractor camp. So um, at the time, mum was actually going to be the cook for the contractor yes. camp. So dad was running a crew of people. They were building police and teachers accommodation mm-hmm. in Aracoon. So it was a massive job. Um, and they had not even broken ground yet when I got there. So yes. I um, was the first person to break ground, basically. Yeah. But so we get there and we drop stuff off for the camp and dad's like, all right, unload your stuff. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, this, you know, you're moving into the camp. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, crickets, crickets are right to stay here or she can stay on the boat because there is, you know, dogs around, dingoes and dogs around town. So if you want, she can stay on the boat. But, yeah, you're in the camp. And at the time there was only two other people there mm. in the camp. Mm. Um, there was no one else because not all the workers had arrived yet. Half the rooms weren't even done up. Like the, there was not even bed sheets on the yeah. bed and stuff. There was nothing. And I was like, um, okay, <laughs> guess I don't have a choice in this. So I was in a single donger. It had a little um, toilet and shower. So I had my own toilet and shower, but there was no like cooking These stuff These are tiny little rooms, guys. They're if really you're not familiar with like mine camp accommodation or any sort of – yeah, basically workers, workers' quarters, workers' accommodation. They are tiny single rooms. They have a single bed. Yeah. Sometimes you get a bar fridge and a tiny TV. I didn't at this time. Okay. So the first night, <laughs> the first couple of nights I was there, I had no TV and I actually had no bar fridge. Yeah. So um, it was nothing. I basically Walked dropped my bags too. in there. There was still dust and dirt in there. Got thrown a packet of sheets and that was it. I made my bed and I had to be up to be on site by I think it was seven because there was actually restrictions there yes. about how much noise you could make noise and stuff. so times. that wasn't too bad but I still had to be up because there was a pre-start and all that and, yes and I was like okay it's my first day so and the boss is my dad yeah he's which for most people you would think that's a dream but trust me it's not hell no <laughs> <laughs> and he reminded me a lot of the fact that you know just because I was a girl and just and I wouldn't have it any other way let's be honest no. just because I was a girl and just because I was his daughter there was no favours. No. I was one of the boys while I was on site. I was yeah. one of the boys while I was in the camp and I would be held to the same standard that they would all Everyone be held else. to. Obviously, there was some growing time in yes. there because I didn't know anything. Yeah. You know, I'd never done carpentry before. I know. You know, I didn't really know anything. So it was like a teaching, a lot of teaching, but he was very good at that as long as I showed up and as yeah. long as I put in a full day's work and did what I was supposed to do, he was happy. So, Yeah. So, yeah, shock to the system straight away, driving into town and then living in a camp. (laughs) I remember the picture that you posted on Facebook of basically your bed, single bed, with your guitar on it. Yeah. And I think Cricket is sitting in there. Cricket is Shannon's dog, um, sitting in there as well. And you posted something like, my home 
for you however know, long, yeah. for however long, or my new home, or something like that. And I, so I was obviously like getting prepared to go on my honeymoon at that yeah. stage, and I remember seeing it and just my heart literally feeling like it was going to shatter. I just wanted to cry for you <laughs> because I was like, oh my god, where the fuck has my sister gone? <laughs> And why? Like, what is she living in? How? What? Like, oh, it just, it honestly hurt my heart so much to see it. And I think because, like, we always talk about this, like, being highly sensitive and really, like, like, we really feel other people's energies. And I could just imagine how you would have been feeling walking in and being like, this is my, this is my home now. Yeah. What the hell? So what I really want to know too is um, obviously Aracoon, it was just like purely circumstantial. It was the opportunity that arose. What I'm really curious about too, and I'm sure other people are thinking like, hang on a minute, you went from childcare to saying yes to work on a construction site. (laughs) And now I've also worked for dad. So we've, we've all gone and we've done our hard yards working for Johnny (laughs) um, over the years. And it definitely is always uh, an experience. Yeah. Uh, especially working with him because you definitely don't get treated like anyone else. When I worked there, I also lived in the camp accommodation with all the boys, but it was yeah. nowhere near as bad as what you <laughs> experienced. Like, Groot, uh, we were in the Northern Territory on a beautiful island. Um, it was definitely not the experience that you had. Um, but... Like, what the hell made you say yes? Like, when I said yes, it was because I was going to work in an office (laughs) and basically fill in time in my uni holidays and maybe do some cleaning and and whatever. What made you say yes to going and, like, you essentially did a lot of concrete work. Yeah, pretty much. Full heavy construction work. It was I was a grunt on site. Yeah. I was the the first day I had to sledgehammer star pickets into the red. Yes. Hard red dirt guys. (laughs) On my hands, I had blisters on my ankles, I had sunburn. Like it's not something that you would sign up to do. And I wish I could say that it was because I had all these dreams and aspirations of being a carpenter, but really it was I had no direction in anything in my life yeah. that going there and not using my brain and just getting all this physical labor intensive work happening was what I needed. Yeah. I needed to not think. Yeah. Because I couldn't straighten out my thoughts. Yeah. I could not. I was I you know, even that first night, I was just laying there just thinking I knew I had to be up early. I knew that it was going to be a hard day. Yeah. But it exhausted me that much that I stopped thinking. Yeah. I didn't have to, you know. Yeah. I, I would get up. I had my routine. You know, yeah. in the end, I was loving the camp. I was yeah. loving the routine, you know, the working every day and working long hours and being out in the sun. And I just, because I didn't have to just process any other thoughts yeah. other than what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and there was a plan for each day. This is what we're doing for the day. Here you go. Go and do it. Sweet. That's it. Nothing else in my life mattered at that point. Yeah. Um. So it was really that. It, there was no, you know, great thought process behind it. It was really just the need to just physically exert myself because yeah. I had mentally exhausted myself Yeah. in my life. Yeah. Um. So that's what I needed to do. Yeah. It would have been like a big purge. Hey, you know, when it really like. It was. Yeah. Like. 
when you go in as Beck says, <laughs> Beck, if you're listening, <laughs> I love to go and smash a boxing bag. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It's it's I can relate to that. Yeah, because I actually say that now to people who don't have any direction. I say just go and do something completely different, completely like physical intensive. Yeah, you you won't have time to think. You you will be that exhausted. My body was that sore and exhausted that my brain didn't even have time to think about anything. Yeah, you know, and it completely. I would say it completely gave me a chance to rebuild myself. Yeah, definitely. And start again. Yeah. Um, and change my personality to what I wanted it to yeah. really be and to to try and, yeah, just rebuild myself in yeah. a different way. So doing that that work, it just sort of clean slated me. Yeah. That's how I felt. I definitely think you did a lot of self-discovery and purging. Like I was having this conversation the other day, I think actually with Dean, my husband, um, about how when you're up leveling, it actually feels like a massive purge. Like it is yeah. fucking hard and it is emotional and you feel flip floppy. And then all of a sudden you just have absolute clarity. And yeah. I imagine that that is what you went through. Yes, it was. Um, so I, I knew though it wasn't going to be forever. I knew yes. that I could tell that the work, it was, it was great at the time. Um, but it wasn't something that I could see myself doing long term. Yes. Um, so I had to eventually make a plan. But yeah. even that in itself was still something that the plan was something that I still stumbled into. I didn't, you know, just yeah. wake up one day and go, I want to be this. Yeah, know? that's right. Um, the job, a job as a receptionist came up at the council there. Yes. And I'd actually met someone, so I didn't have any plans on leaving anytime soon because I yeah. know a guy, so because there's always a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll get to in we'll part two. We'll get to in part two. <laughs> um, but certainly he wasn't like my whole reason for staying, but it helped having somebody there. Um, and I was starting to just like the life up there. You know, it was a small town, but there was none of the drama. There was none of the BS that goes on. It was, you know, no one even really knew me there. And so I thought, you know, I'll give it a crack. I'll try the council. And I didn't have any plans on leaving anytime soon. So I thought I might as well just, just try something different. Yeah. And just hopefully, you know, someone, something will come up that will I'll be like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's what, what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But that didn't really happen because that council job really just became your own like I feel yes. like you really stepped into that and it it started as like a front desk you know basic reception job and grew into a role that was in the end split in two when she left because yeah. newsflash everyone spoiler alert she left <laughs> I'm not there she's anymore. not still there <laughs> yeah so it was meant to be it was just meant to be a reception position um but within like two weeks of being there there was um, a lot of deficits, so there was there's not that much um, staffing there and stuff like that. So to, let's to paint the, the picture a bit more with with that because I think like it's such a unique community. Yes. So there, like, it's not a place that unless you're Shannon, <laughs> it's not a place that you really just go to live. Like no, the, so you can't anyway. Yeah. So you yeah. have to work for an organisation there to be able to live there. There is no houses. The houses yes. are all government owned. Yeah. And you have to be a low income earner. Yes. Um, or be in government accommodation. So yes. unless you basically work for teachers, council, 
um, police yeah. or you're a contractor because there's a contractor camp. Or you're a contractor, contractor in the camp. Yeah. You, that's you it. can't, there's yeah. no way for you to be. Yeah. That's it. Which means that when roles come up, unless they're filled by like families, so say, you know, mum's a teacher. Yeah. Dad goes there. Dad picks up a job. Like, unless you're in a family that's moved there for another reason, there's there's no reason for you to be there. There's no way you no. can be there. So that's really how they rely on running the whole community. Pretty much. Which means there are always jobs available. Yes. So there's X amount of jobs that are for the community members, yes. so the Indigenous population, yes. um, because that's the whole point the of point. us being there. Yes. Um, is to deliver services to the community so that, you know, and, and upskill people. Yes. And that. Yes. Now, the council was very unique in itself. It runs the childcare. Yeah, the aged care, everything. the bank, and post the post office. office. Yes. So we ran all of that. Yes. So we had people that, you know, um, had to work in all those organisations and they were work, obviously worked for council, but they were the services that we had to deliver to the community. So you, you have to be very multi-skilled. Absolutely. To work there. Yeah. Um, and also you have to be very, what do I want to say? Um, accepting and and have a certain level of empathy because the population of people that were there, like our Indigenous workers, they 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 didn't grow up going to work nine to five every day, a hundred days a week, yeah. like a hundred days a week, hundred days a year, or whatever. Yeah. They their life is different, yeah. You know, and yeah, that's not a priority to them. No, their families and that are very much a priority to them. Yeah, so. You had to do. You had to be okay with doing a lot of the work yourself because you might have people come to work for two days, yeah, and then they might not come. Yes, you know, and you can't hold that against the people so, there because that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah, and so you have to then when that when people do return to work, just start again. You know, yeah. and just put it back. And we did have quite a high turnover of staff because, um, I don't know how much people know, and I don't want to go too far into it, but you know there is a lot of crime and there's a lot of social issues that do yes. that do happen there and so it did limit people, you know, coming to work as yeah. well. So really there was a lot of battles there. Yeah. Um to be fought. So um but yeah with my role at the council, so it was receptionist, but even that in itself was more than just that. So because the council runs so many services and has for so long. Yeah. Um, you had to be sort of like a, what would I say? Like you had to help people. Like You were people, kind of like the go-to for everything. Yes. You're like Google and a human. Yeah. Really <laughs> That's the easiest way to I would, have, to I would just... have people come in and say, what's the number for yeah. the, this place in Cairns? Or uh, how do I turn my phone on? You know, yeah. I did this, you know, and some people like, when I remember a couple of times I was working at the bank and there was this gentleman and his bank account was getting closed because somehow he had signed up to um all these like funds and they were taking money out of his account and he, this had been going on for ages but no one knew yeah you know and he didn't know he didn't know so he's wondering why he can't get any money out yeah. because it's negative and there's no money yeah and these are the things that you had to help with well you yeah. didn't have to but you needed to you needed to because there's no one else there's to no do one it. else and yeah. there was you know even basic internet and yeah. computers, that there was nowhere for people to do that. Yeah. So there were things that people needed done. And you would be surprised how difficult it actually is 
to get stuff done when you are so remote. So when you say like get stuff done, what do you mean? So even something like as simple as a tax file number, you know, that there were people that had tax file numbers created for them who knows how long ago. They had no idea that they had them. And so when we start people up at work, we're trying to find their tax file number and you're talking to people over the phone that live that are down in Brisbane or yeah. in an office in like a city somewhere and have no idea where we are and no idea what we're dealing with. And they're asking you questions like, yeah, well, does the person have ID? Well, no. You know, some people didn't have ID. Yeah. Some people have ID in three different um, names, you know. I remember coming across someone who had a birth certificate in one name, a driver's license in another name, and like some other form of government ID in a completely different name or even like a misspelling or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's it just crazy. It was just chaotic some of the stuff and it made it really difficult for anyone to get anywhere. So you imagine people who have not been raised with technology mm. or with smartphones because most people didn't have smartphones there. Um, trying to do this stuff and you can you can imagine how frustrating it can be at times. So you can understand, you know, when people get angry about yeah. about what's happening. So part of my job or wasn't really part of my job but just part of what I did yeah. was to help with those sorts of things because you can't – I just couldn't just say to someone, that's not my job, see you later. I couldn't because then where would they go? There was, there was really nowhere for – for the people to go to get that help. So I don't know who had been helping them before I came along. Yeah. And it's not like you can even say, like, go to your local, like, neighbourhood centre or Centrelink office or something like that, which is where I assume people who need help in, like, cities and stuff would go. Yeah. So there's nothing like that. So there was other sort of um, government bodies or, you know, there was, like, a Centrelink and stuff like that. But it was... Too un- most of the places were too understaffed and there's yes. too many people in the community and like it just wasn't it wasn't a sustainable service yes. they needed help elsewhere yeah with things and people sort of got to relying on me as well like once you help somebody they mm. know that if they come to you they're not going to get bs that they're yeah. going to get the help they need and so people would would come and ask me just and to ask. do simple things like help them make a phone call yes you know and sometimes i'd be talking to someone on the phone from some other organization and i'm starting to get frustrated i'm like i can understand exactly why people are getting frustrated because i'm starting to get frustrated yeah. like, just listen to what i'm saying like mm-hmm. this is where we are <laughs> listen yeah so yeah that sort of was part of my role um without even really being part of my role yeah um, but the, the thing with living somewhere, um, so small like that is even when you're not working, you're still working, you know, like the shop, there's one shop. So every time mm-hmm. I go to the shop, I'm helping people or mm-hmm. I'm talking to people about jobs or, or something like that. So you you don't ever really switch off. Like, like I would sometimes have people waiting outside my house, like calling out to me. <laughs> all the time like Miss Shannon Miss Shannon and I'm like um come and see me on Monday (laughs) you know but um yeah it was definitely very interesting so you really become part of the community yes you have to to yeah to be to be able to survive there and to be able to be welcomed and live there you know harmoniously yeah you have to yeah um if you go in there and you're all you know about what you can get for yourself they will not put up with that shit, yeah. you know, honestly. Um, and we would even do things like if we went out fishing, if we caught fish that maybe we don't eat or maybe we caught many fish, we drive around town and just give them to people, yeah. you know, and people really appreciated yeah. that because it's 
it's somebody else's waterways that I was fishing in. Yeah. You know, and you have to ask permission to, to do all of that. Of yes. course, we went through the right avenues, but, you know, um, you just have to do, like, do a little bit extra. Yeah. And I think that was a really um, good learning thing for me was giving without expecting things yeah. in return, you know, yeah. because that was what it was. You, yeah. would, you would give extra time and do extra put in extra effort for people, you may not get a thank you, but yeah. the si- there was a silent thank you or a yeah. silent gratitude Yeah. Um, and being able to live there harmoniously, Yeah. you know, and being accepted in the community. You know, everybody knew me. Everybody knew my name. Yeah. So because yeah. I was the front of, of the you council, were. so yeah. I was the person that everybody knew. So that also was very important for me to be able to be seen as a positive influence there. Yeah. Um, and probably one of the reasons why I stayed so long as well is because I really did enjoy being a positive influence in the community. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like a big fish little pond. Yeah. You know? And yeah. It, it was really great. So it must have been intimidating, especially being like, let's just say it, a young white female yeah. living in a like pretty much ninety nine percent Aboriginal community where like we've said um, it doesn't have the best, like, while there are some really beautiful people that live there, there is also a lot of crime and there are a lot of really horrible things that happen there. There is. And it is a very difficult thing to get your head around because you do see things that is not normal to, like, a society yeah. outside of places like that. Or maybe it does happen somewhere else, but you don't see it you as much, you know. It. It's very amplified in a small community yeah. like that. And, of course, yes, being that I was not an Indigenous person, yeah, that was not a community where I was born or raised yeah. and my family ties and cultural ties were not to that place. Yeah. You are the outcast. You're the minority. Yeah. You know, and it is a very, like another learning curve to have that flipped on its axis and to be the minority in a country that is, you know, yeah. predominantly with non-Indigenous yeah. people. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, most cities and stuff are made uh, up of. Yes. Um, so, yeah, to be the minority, it, it was difficult and there is difficult times and difficult people as there are anywhere, but it is, it is definitely amplified in a place like that. Yeah. And when I had a partner there, it wasn't really like I wasn't – I was never scared anyway, even when I didn't. Like, yeah. I wasn't ever scared or, or whatever, but you did have to be aware, mm. you know. There were some people that were not happy with – the presence of non-Indigenous people yeah. there because they hadn't had positive influences, influences you yeah, know, and, and experience. Some of the stories that people told me even about how they had been treated by some people, you know, you, it's any wonder. Yeah. So, and I didn't want that to be like that. And there were definitely some people that made it difficult for me, but there were the other people on the other hand that that didn't. So I didn't resist against the people that made it difficult for me I didn't really you know resist or try and fight that Mm -hmm. because I figured that if the minority of people um can see the good that I'm doing and they're happy with me being there and that's well received well that was enough for me yeah to even change the opinions of one person yeah of um what a typical and I'm just going to say it, white Australian person how they would behave to change their opinions and for them to see me yeah at the front of their council in their community trying to help them doing good. Yeah. I saw it as a positive. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it was a baby, baby step yeah. to bridging gaps. Yeah. But I wanted to make that step. Yeah. You know, and it it's something that I've 
that I've taken on anywhere that I go now as well. Yeah. Is with that and just being just being aware of, of how you treat people and being aware of, you know, people might already have these opinions formed and that is not necessarily my fault, but that doesn't mean that I need to, you know, disregard their feelings or discredit their feelings just because it didn't directly come from me. Absolutely. And I think that's so important for everyone to actually take that message away, especially in today's day and age. You know, last year there was all the Black Lives Matter rallies and all of that. And I mean, I personally stayed very silent about all of that because I just didn't personally feel like I had any experience or any right really to make any sort of comments on that because I haven't been in in that sort of like in any of those communities I've not witnessed any of that and I've certainly not experienced it myself so yeah I really love that you've been able to take like such a powerful message away from that experience I think the reminder also is like even though I was you know trying to do my small bit to bridge the gap I was in no way trying to be the voice of people there no. because it was not my place. Yeah. I yeah. can do what I can do for them to trust me and to and to think good of me, um, but it's not up to me to go out there and sprout opinions of what the town needed or what the community no. needed or, or what they were doing wrong. It, that was not me. That's no. not my voice. No. And it's, I had no right to do that, so I, don't, I didn't. No. You know, I played my part. Yeah. Um, you were like the supporting role. Yeah, that's what I wanted yeah. to do. I wanted to be the hand on the shoulder. Yeah. You know, if somebody wanted to go forward and take their opinions and, and drive and whatever, I wanted to be the person that they could turn to and, and know that I was there holding my thumbs up, you know, supporting yeah. them. That's all I felt yeah. with everything that people did. Yeah. You know, going for a new job or yes. just anything. You yeah. Know, I wanted yeah. to be that supporting role and I think I did a pretty good job or I definitely left on a good note. You so. did, yeah. Yeah. I think you, you – well, it sounds like obviously I wasn't there to experience it, <laughs> but it, it sounds like you made, like, a really positive impact in the ways that you could and that – well, I know that you were missed when you left because, like we already said, like they split your role <laughs> in yeah. two and I know they had trouble um, replacing you. So I remember one of the conversations I had with one of my HR managers was because I'd end up going from reception to HR and back yeah. up at the bank and back up at the post office and really just the jack of all trades yeah. and master of none. I was doing everything, you yeah. know. Um, and – I think, yeah, one of the things I remember my HR manager saying is it, it sometimes, you know, it's a blessing and it's a curse doing things well. Yes. Um, the blessing is you will always find that people, you know, will respect you for it and they'll yes. lean on you for it and they'll trust you, but it's also a curse because people will rely on you then. Yeah. And so I think I did leave a bit, not intentionally, I just wanted to do the best that I could do for that place. Yes. You know, and I wanted to make processes and and put things in place so that when I did leave, the standard was was at a good standard. Yes. Not saying that it wasn't. I'm not no. saying that there was any issues, but I wanted to keep a standard and yes. I wanted to set it and I wanted to whoever come in after me to follow that. But in doing that, because they hadn't had somebody who, you know, would do all that before, I did leave a hole and I made yeah. it very difficult for them to find someone. So they did have to split the, the role because too. they couldn't yeah. find anyone that, that could do it. Yeah. And, like, I'm not tooting my own horn. It was a struggle. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was not easy. There was there was many times where I wanted to cry because I was just so frustrated with not getting my work done or yeah. not being able to do what I wanted to do. But 
I think the work pressure for you too was like one of the biggest things that was pushing you to leave the community. Yeah. So because I started to actually really care about what I was doing. Yeah. So at first it was just a job for a job and because yes. I was there. Yeah. Um, but then I started to really love it. Yeah. I loved, you know, giving people jobs. I loved yeah. talking to people. I loved um, learning how to read awards and make contracts and yeah. and all of that stuff. I loved doing that. And so because when you start to love something, you want to take care of it. Yes. And so it, I just wanted to do good at the end yeah. of the day. I didn't want to fail, yeah. you know, and I didn't in any way. But no. it just got – I put probably a lot of pressure on myself. Definitely. Um, and the more I did, the more that was expected or the more that I felt was expected. And so I did need to, to leave to, to sort of focus on more of like, you know, a HR-related role or something yes. that I wanted to do and not – you know, because that council was so unique in what it was, that they ran so many different things and they were basically the – I explained it as the octopus brain with all the yeah. arms. You know, that's what they yeah. were. So you had to do so many things. You know, not every council is like that or not every organisation is like it's that. Like so that. I was ready to go to somewhere where I knew what my job was. Yeah. Um, the surprises More used niche. to be fun. Mm. Um, but then it got to a point where it's like, well, this is what I like about my job and this is what I want to keep doing. Yes. And so I had to leave in order to continue that growth in a yes. career and, and in a job. Yeah. You know, but certainly if I hadn't have ever gone to Arica and if I hadn't ever worked at the council, I wouldn't have even known that HR was something that, that yeah, I could even do. Yeah. You know, because I'd never done anything like that before. I didn't even know I was good with people. No. <laughs> no. And my track record probably does not say that I am, <laughs> to be honest. You know, so... <laughs> Um, there's probably a lot of people if they listen to this would be like, ah, yeah, no, she's not good with people. Karma, but, um, she managing yeah. people. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just sort of grew into it, and then that was something that I knew I was good at, and I wanted to do it, and I liked it. Yeah, I feel like it was such a good place to experience. Like, yes, managing people is so hard, and I think most people will agree that. Well, in, in big companies, definitely HR is like a role that just is always constantly ticking over with people Yeah, because it is hard. It's it a revolving hard. door. Yeah. You know, you are everything to someone. You yeah. are, you know, they're confident, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. It is, it is really hard and it is very draining. Yes. Um, because the, I remember someone saying to me once, one of my mentors, you know, we are the HR for them, but who's the HR for us? Oh, you. <laughs> like, yeah. At the end of every day, do we go home and take those problems of other people and, you know, spread it out our spouse? Yeah. Like, who listens to us? Yeah. Yeah. So it is, so it is true. a, I would say it's a thankless role. Yeah. It is, yeah. you know, you get, you get your thanks out of helping other people. Yes. You don't actually get, you know, the pat on the background. No, no. So. No. And what, like, just such a unique place to really learn that that is your passion because you really were everything to the people that you were helping yeah. in that community too. So yeah, that's right. I feel like it would have really taught you the importance of having an open mind as yes. well. I think it what it did was cement the fundamentals. Yes. That's what it did. So I didn't have any – I wasn't tarnished by strict – guidelines or strict routine or strict policies yeah you know and i'm not knocking any other hr managers but or hr officers or anything anyone in hr at all but people are taught a certain way yeah i learned 
I wasn't taught I learned. Yeah. You know, I didn't have someone going, no, this is how this it's is done. This is how it's done. You know, I had to feel my way through. You know, that is the most dangerous, dangerous, like, sentence that anyone can say, whether you're a business owner, a manager, anything like that, this is the way we've always done it. Exactly. And I don't like that. No. Oh, it is, It is. yeah, I would not ever use that term. No. And I would encourage anyone that I work with to get out of that men- mindset and mentality yeah. because I, I don't care yeah. <laughs> if you that's the way you've always done it. And you know what? Maybe you think it is the right way. Yeah. But there are so many other ways that things can be done. It's like um, I remember reading this thing about like seven plus one is eight, but so is four plus four. Yeah. Just because you know that seven that. plus one is eight doesn't mean that four plus four isn't always eight. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's so many ways to do things. So yeah. And that's what I loved about not being, um, you know, traditionally going into a career where mm-hmm. I come out of school and I knew what I was doing and I went to uni and stuff like that is that all of the stuff that I learned for my role is from life, real life experience. Yeah. That's what I've learned. So yeah. I, I know what works and what does not work yeah. from a real life experience point of view, not from a book not or from, what a, from told a, you, you know, mm-hmm. strict point of view. You know, sometimes it would be nice to have that yeah. piece of paper behind me, backing me, because I know that there's definitely some, you know, would be some people that might challenge that mm-hmm. because I haven't had the training. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I definitely i am so grateful for the real-life experience that's given me something that I love to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what I really want to finish up on asking is because you were, like, you were a lost little lamb. Yes. And now you've... Essentially, you turned your whole life upside down and shook it out all over the pavement. Pretty much. And then you've like, like we say rebuild, but that's not really it. Like you, you really dug deep and you really discovered yourself and your passions. And it was in just the most unique way that you could have done it. You have now left Aracoon and you are living in another community, not an Indigenous community, just another country town um, in a HR role. Yeah. So for anyone listening who has found themselves like in that initial position that you are in, I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. And um, I, I spoke to Tara earlier in my first season of the podcast about the quarter life crisis. Yes. That was definitely like you, you've definitely it's been It's a through. real thing. <laughs> it is. And my friends will agree to that. Yeah. We always say, oh, quarter life crisis. Yeah. hundred percent. Sure. Um, but it's, it, I believe it's necessary sometimes. Yeah. And I agree. I definitely agree. So putting yourself back in the lost little lamb. And or for anyone who is in that position, what advice can you give them to either move through that or yep. maybe just for someone who, like, we all get really caught up on this idea of, like, discovering our purpose or passion or whatever. Yep. Like, can you give some advice on any of that? I think the biggest thing is, um, or what I did, was you need to strip it away. You, yep. need, to, you need to get rid of the clutter. Yep. You need to strip everything away and go down right down to the core and just it's kind of like learning to walk again yeah and start at the basics yeah you know you can't do it all at once and 
And I would love to say that the day that I left Aracoon, I was this like epitome of this, you know, wonderful person, had all these wonderful ideas. I still had growth to do. Yeah. I still did. And I was going to say, you've kind of done like another mini up level again. Since, since being, being in the yeah. new town. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't leave there. Like I left my work at the best of terms, but yes. leaving there, there was still some negativities around the reasons for why I was leaving, which we'll get into in yes. the second episode. Um, <laughs> because of course it involved a guy. Um, <laughs> But really, um, it's also about trusting yourself and your instincts because that was another thing that I never did, you know. I'd got it wrong so many times or in my head or in what I thought was getting it wrong so many times that I didn't even trust myself to make my own decisions anymore. Yeah. I honestly did not. Yeah. And so you just got to trust that even if this time that you do it, it doesn't work out or this time you do something, it's not the, you know, the goal that you were looking for. What you thought it you was. You just got to keep going. Yeah. You have to. And that's what I just had to do. Yeah. And it, that was even moving, you know, um, moving on the note that I did on not such a great time. I couldn't come to the new place and be like, oh, it just didn't work out, you know. I had to just be like, just keep moving. Yeah. Just keep doing. Yeah. Just keep going, you know, and, and that's the thing. But certainly stripping everything away um, and starting essentially from scratch and I think people have a really amazing way of finding what they need in their lives without yeah. even having to look. Yeah. Um, but that's certainly what happened for me. I wasn't looking – I was definitely looking to, to be something better, but I didn't know what I was looking for. Yeah. You know, and you don't know until you found yeah, what, right. what it was. No, that's but, right. Yeah, that was, that's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. So it's really – and, like, I've noticed this in you as well. It's really, really about just trusting your intuition. Yeah. And something else that you're, you've gotten really good at is seeing the lessons in yes. everything. Yeah. You're not a victim anymore. It used to feel like the world was against me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It used to always feel like, and, and even, you know, some of these things that I'll say in the next episode with some of the things that happen, it was sort of like, it sort of was like the world has been out to get yeah. me. But it really hasn't. No. You know? Everything is a lesson for a reason. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like to look at now. Mm-hmm. It's not a failure. No. It might be a temporary setback. Um, but if you can see it as a lesson and what did I learn from this and what do I what has this taught me that I didn't have before, that's when you really um can believe that your path is right. Yeah. You know, and that's how I felt. I'm gonna still get it wrong. I'm still gonna do things, things are still gonna happen in my life, it's not all gonna be roses, that's just not real. And I love that it's not real. Like I love the rarity of life. Yeah. Now. And things go wrong in my life all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's still beautiful to me, you know, yeah. because I just see life in a completely different way different before. Way. Mm-hmm. And I see those setbacks in a different way. I used to, you know, see it as the world is ending. Mm. I hate my life. Yes. You know? But it's not like that anymore yeah. for me. So, yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> oh, I love it. I am so excited to talk more about, like, your reasons for leaving and (laughs) some more of your lessons in love in our next episode. So let's let's end this one here. Yep. And stay tuned next week, ladies, for Shannon's lessons in love. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening, lady. If you loved this episode as much as I loved recording it, please leave me a review on iTunes. 
For more inspiration, come and join me on Instagram at Jamie Lee White or in my VIP Facebook community, Everyday Queens, Women in Business Creating Their Dream Life, where I share all of my business and mindset advice. Until then, have a beautiful week.